Greetings of love to each of this morning, in the name of Jesus. Glad we can be together, glad it's Easter, glad for the resurrection of Christ, all that that um, means to us this morning. Certainly, uh, it's much to rejoice, much to be positive about as we think about the power of Christ coming forth from the grave. Enjoyed the many thoughts already this morning, but I'd like to um, just think about the resurrection this morning. I'd like to think of what the, the meaning of the resurrection for us today. In other words, what it means to us personally. The, um, the testimony and, and power of the apostles in the New Testament is really grounded in that they witnessed the power of the resurrection of Jesus firsthand. And what is interesting is, um, I think it was mentioned in the Sunday School lesson, the, um, the fact that the, the resurrection of Christ is uh, central and uh, well-documented in the, in the Scriptures. And in Acts 3 and verse 15 there it says, as um, they were the, the apostles were there, it says that we are, we are witnesses of this. Now, what is interesting is when they say we are witnesses of the resurrection, yet they were not there and, and to see Christ come out of the tomb. So what does that mean when they say we are witnesses of this? I'd like to explore that thought a little bit this morning throughout the message. We look at the scriptures. But it is an important part of what they preached. Peter and John especially were among the first to witness the evidence of the resurrection. Maybe that's part of what it means when they say we are witnesses. But really the greatest witness of the resurrection, as they, I believe, were speaking of it, was the change that happened because of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. You think about the disciples who at the time of the crucifixion, what does the scripture say? They all forsook him and fled. And even after um, the crucifixion, you know, when they met in the upper room, they had the doors locked, their doors were closed. It says, for fear of the Jews. And they're like us sometimes, cowards in relation to truth. But what is interesting, after the Holy Spirit came upon them and and all those Old Testament scriptures now made sense to them. You say, well, this is what this scripture means. You take Paul, uh, or sorry, Peter's message there on the day of Pentecost and you have a totally different man than, you know, a few weeks before that. And a, 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 here was a man who stood up. He was that rough, you know, Galilean fisherman. But he stood up and he started preaching from the Old Testament scriptures and brought him right into the coming of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. And so when you think about the change that happened from going from, um, from cowardice to courageous, and, and there was just something that, that was changed in their hearts because they saw and believed the irrefutable proof that Christ was or is who he said he was uh, in his teaching with them. All that Christ said was true. 
Now, I'd like to take your thoughts this morning to John 20. I realize in our Sunday school lesson, we looked at Matthew's account of the resurrection of Christ. I'd like to look here at John 20, and I'm going to read the first eight verses here, and then notice some of the historical details of the story, and then later we want to look at how it applies to us personally. John chapter 20 and verse 1. And the first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, <coughs> when it was yet dark, under the sepulcher, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher. And seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher. Then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, and saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher, and we know not where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth, and that other disciple, which would have been John, because normally he, (coughs) John refers to himself in his writings as the other disciple, and came to the sepulcher, So they ran both together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter and came first to the sepulcher. So John got there first, and he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying, yet went he not in. Then cometh Simon Peter following him and went into the sepulcher, and seeth the linen clothes lie, and the napkin that was about his head not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then went in also the other disciple, which was John, which came first to the sepulcher, and he saw and believed. For as yet they knew not the scripture, that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again unto their own home. This was a very sad day, as they were trying to comprehend and trying to process all the happenings in relation to the crucifixion, you know, the loss of their Messiah, as it were, who they had faith in. (coughs) Excuse me. And their hopes seemed to be dashed. You know, they saw him laid in the tomb. And now as dawn began to creep across the sky too, we see two Marys uh, walking in a haze of sorrow and despair toward the garden tomb. And you can imagine Uh, the surprised looks when they saw the tomb was empty and aglow with light. Another gospel, they were wondering who was going to roll the stone away, but uh, that was taken care of. They slowly walked closer, it seems, and peering in, they saw what appeared to be a young man in a long white robe sitting where Jesus had lain there, um, on the stone shelf or platform. And then there were two angels that stood beside them and spoke to them. And, you know, we, we know that these, this story. But they came running out of the tomb and hurried to tell the others what, what they had seen. And here Peter and John uh, come, and we have uh, John getting there first. And he stooped down, and he did not go in at first. But he peered into the tomb, and he saw the clothes lying there. But that seems to be somewhat of a, of a 
just um, more of a casual looking. And yes, the clothes were there. But here comes Peter behind him, and he would not just look from the outside into the tomb. Peter was, as we know, his nature. He was the kind to get right in there and get involved, as it were. And um, he, he he would see firsthand for himself. And he went right in with John at his heels, and they looked, and they looked. And as they looked, we have that in verse 6, verse 7, and then in verse 8. As they looked, it suddenly made sense. What did they see when they went into that tomb and got a close-up view of what was there? Well, we have that in verse 6. And come and Simon Peter following him went into the sepulcher. <coughs> Excuse me. And see if the linen clothes lie. Then it says in the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the, with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. And when they saw that, they looked. They saw, in verse 8, and believed. I think what that is referring to is the fact that those grave clothes that they saw lying there were lying there on that stone shelf or bench, just as if a body had been in there had been in them, but the body was gone. The Jews would wrap the body with cloth, long rolls of cloth. The head they would wrap. And the Bible distinctly says they weren't just all balled up in the corner like somebody that would have taken them off, but they were laying there. The napkin that was about his head the linen clothes that were wrapped about his body, lying there. You could say maybe slightly collapsed, but no body in there. It's almost as if the body, in our terms, would have evaporated out of there or just come out of it, and the cloth was laying there exactly as if, as it was when the body would have been in it. That's what I believe they saw. They saw. They looked. The linen clothes were lying the linen cloth that was about his head was by itself. And they saw and they believed. <coughs> and so the grave clothes were lying exactly in position, we could say, unmoved. But there was no body inside. They had watched as Lazarus had come alive there in, in John 11 and had to be helped or unwrapped from all the cloth wrappings. But this was different. They saw and believed. Here was deity at work. And and you remember that Jesus said there of, of um, Lazarus, he said, loose him and let him go. That need not be said of Christ, because he came out 
of those grave clothes came out of that tomb, and the door was opened, the, the stone was rolled away, not for Christ to come out, but for us to be able to see in and to see manifestation, the resurrection of Christ. One of the greatest truths of the resurrection is the fact that man cannot just bury God. Man cannot just bury God. And I had to think of this light of this story. Many men have tried this throughout time, throughout history, but it has never worked. The seal of Rome, like we talked about in our Sunday school lesson, was upon the stone door, but that could not hold him. Rome could not stop him, could not keep him in the grave. The armed soldiers standing outside to guard the tomb, they were powerless. They could not keep him in there. Those windings of cloth could not hinder him. The cloth wrapped around his head lay there useless now and empty. He was alive. Later they saw him, touched him, talked to him. And Peter and John there witnessing in their necks. We're witnessing of the resurrection power. The resurrection is the greatest manifestation of divine power, we could say, since creation. Many people today are trying to keep, in quotes, keep Christ in a tomb, as it were. You know, somehow the fact that to reckon him dead or useless or ineffective, denying the resurrection, denying the, that Christ is alive and active in the world today, We live in a spiritually darkening world full of negativity and fear and opposition to truth. And so this morning, the positive message is the message of the resurrection. There is resurrection power. And we can experience that personally. So now, what does the resurrection mean to us personally? The scriptures clearly teach two resurrections for the Christian. Let's just turn to John 5, back to John 5 and verse 25. (coughs) Jesus here is speaking. He said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming and now is. When the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, thank you, and they that hear shall live. For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son of to the Son to have life in himself, and hath given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. Marvel not of this, for the hour is coming in the which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice. And shall come forth, they that have done good, unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. So, this scripture is pointing to two resurrections. 
And so the first is the bodily resurrection, or sorry, is the spiritual resurrection of new life in Christ. And we, ha- we have that. All that in the grave shall hear his voice. And then, and then they shall come, and then the bodily resurrection shall come forth. Well, the resurrection of life, they have done um, evil unto the resurrection of damnation. Now, I'd like to focus more on, of course, the spiritual resurrection this morning as we think about us personally. Ephesians 2, verses 1 to 9, they refer to this. I think we'll just turn back to that. Ephesians 2. And you hath he quickened or made alive, this is spiritual resurrection, who were dead in trespasses and sins. <coughs> Where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. <coughs> For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We could also turn to Colossians 2, and notice there what it means to be risen with Christ. And so there's that spiritual resurrection. So in the new birth, when we surrender our, our life, our, bring our brokenness to Christ in salvation, that is a spiritual resurrection in the new birth. We are truly a witness of the resurrection when we have been crucified with him and thus have died to sin. <coughs> Apologize for this dry cough, I'm not sure. why that um, happened like that, but sorry about that. For us to be raised with Christ, we have to die. Live people are not resurrected. Only dead people are resurrected. And sometimes, we, when we lack spiritual strength in our lives, resurrection power in our lives is because we're not dead. We haven't died all the way. There are people that try to say, even in Christendom today, that Christ had not really died, that he just kind of was swooned or <coughs> fated. And the coolness of the tomb revived him. Why would you try to deny that? It's interesting that Rome said he was dead. (coughs) The witness of the soldiers, they were surprised. Pilate was surprised. He was dead already. 
to make sure the soldiers pierced his side, pierced his heart with a spear to make sure. The disciples knew he was dead. Why would you say, why would anyone try to say, well, he didn't really die? It's a way to deny the resurrection. But from a spiritual angle this, this morning, if we want to be truly raised with Christ spiritually, we have to be sure that we have died. We have died to self. Self is no longer active and, and in an authority in our lives. <coughs> the power of sin must be crucified if we will truly be alive in Christ. Now, the tomb of our old nature should also be empty. You know, the body of sin must be dead. Romans 6, 3 to 14, there talks about that, being buried with him in baptism, raised to newness of life. The resurrected child of God then will have new goals and interests. Let's just turn to Colossians. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians 3 and verse 1. Now notice he says, if, uh, preposition, If ye then be risen with Christ, in other words, if you really are risen with Christ, we are risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. (coughs) Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked some time when ye lived in them. But now you also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth, lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Notice here, if we are risen with Christ, there is an expectation of how we're going to be living our life. Our affection is going to be set on things above, not on things on the earth. We're going to be dead as far as self, and our life is going to be alive in Christ, which means there's going to be, like in verse 1, there's new affections. Verse 5, there's power for personal purity. Verse 8, power for right attitudes. Down in verse 12, it talks about interpersonal relationships. Um, put on, therefore, as elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, 
meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And it goes on to talk about what it means to be raised with Christ. And so there's the power for right attitudes. Verse 12 is humility and kindness. Verses 13 and 14, there's genuine love for others. There's the new peace in verse 15. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. <coughs> Excuse me. Then also in verses 18 and 22, there's, there's new relationships. Talks about wives and husbands and children and fathers and servants. And all that relates to this change because of resurrection power in our life. And so this, this morning, as we have been part also of the spiritual resurrection today, we have the promise of the ultimate resurrection in the future. Christ has won the victory of sin and the grave. And now we have the power also over sin and death. And the resurrection of Christ means that when we die in Christ, the grave cannot hold us. We could go to uh, the book of Revelation there, chapter 1, where it says, where Christ is saying there, he says, I have the keys of hell and of death. In other words, the grave and death. I have the keys because he said, I was dead, but now I am alive forevermore. And so there's that, that promise that we have. You know, and that's why Paul says there in Thessalonians that we don't weep like those who have no hope. Yes, there's tears shed, standing beside an open grave and laying a loved one to rest. Yes, we do, we do have tears, but not like those who have no hope because Jesus died and rose again. And them also who are asleep in Jesus will God bring with him. And so to die in Christ is to, as it were, guarantee our resurrection. The same as, as nothing could keep Christ from coming forth from that tomb. To die in Christ, to leave this world in faith in Christ and the forgiveness of Christ means that our resurrection is secured. And the grave will not hold us either. The, um, the, uh, you think about that in relation to the, uh, the power of Christ. As we wait for the, um, for the voice of Christ, for the trumpet to sound, you know, it's not going to make any difference as far as meeting Christ, whether we're alive or whether we're in the grave at, at that point. And so this morning, let's continue to appreciate the meaning of the resurrection, all that it means to us. I thought of the song we sing sometimes, the strife is o'er, the battle's done, the victory of life is won, the song of triumph has begun, alleluia. The powers of death have done their worst, but Christ their legions has dispersed, that shouts of holy joy outburst, Alleluia. The three sad days are quickly sped. He rises glorious from the dead. 
All glory to our risen head. Hallelujah. He closed the yawning gates of hell. The bars from heaven's high portals fell. Let hymns of praise his triumph tell. Hallelujah. Lord, by the stripes which wounded thee, from death's dread sting thy servants free, that we may live and sing to thee. Hallelujah. I'd like to close now with, I think, one of the most precious verses in all of Scripture. John 6, 40. And this is the will, this is the words of Jesus. And this is the will of him that sent me, that whosoever seeth the Son, understand and see Jesus, that everyone that seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Isn't that a precious promise? To see Jesus, to believe on him, that we might have everlasting life. And he says, I will raise him up at the last day. That's a promise of the resurrection, brothers and sisters, friends, this morning, that we can have and appreciate and enjoy. I think it's one of the anticipations of Christ as he is waiting the word from his Father to return, to come back again, for the trumpet to sound in all the graves of his people will be opened. And we will all together rise together to meet him in the air. May each of us this morning be sure that we are experiencing that spiritual resurrection in our hearts so that we have the assurance of that physical resurrection at the coming of Christ. Let's kneel to pray. Father, we thank you this morning for the power of Christ, the power of the resurrection. We thank you, Father, that we can anticipate (coughs) that time in the future, whether you come while we are still alive and take us to be with yourself, or, Father, whether we are waiting in the grave, like so many of our forebears gone before us, or in their graves today, awaiting that word that summons, as it were, when their spirits will return to our Lord, be united with the body, glorious body, like unto our Lord's glorious body. Father, we just pray that as we move and function in the world today, we might have this positive message to a world that is in fear, in turmoil, in doubt, in spiritual darkness. There's a message of hope the resurrection of our Lord, and the fact that there is eternal truth, that we can respond to that truth and find salvation. Bless each of us today. May your love, your mercy and grace be with each of us in our lives. We ask in the name of Christ. Amen.